1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. This is what Holy Scripture says. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bible again and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I had Ricky read for us from uh, verse 1 to verse 13, but this morning we're going to be looking at verse 6 to verse 13. Uh, Let's just say that a delegate from our denomination, the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptist Churches, uh, came and visited our church for a few weeks just to learn about us and to write a report about us. What do you think would be in that report? What do you think they would say about us as Grace Fellowship Church? Would they write a good report about us or would they write a bad report about us? Those questions should get us thinking about what primarily characterizes our church. Each and every church has something that they're known for. Sometimes it's, it's good, but unfortunately, sometimes it's bad. And so if every church is known for something, then we ought to make sure that we're known for the things that really matter to the Lord. What we have in our text today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 to 13, is the part of Paul's letter where he talks about the report he's received from his delegate, Timothy, about the church in Thessalonica. Now, just to give you a bit of a recap, last week we saw how Paul and Silas were unable to return to the Thessalonians because somehow Satan had hindered them and made it impossible to come to them. And so out of a deep care and concern for this church, they sent Timothy back since he was able to go. So look with me at chapter 3, verse 5. 
Paul writes, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Right there, you can see that, that Paul was worried that their faith was shaken due to their affliction. And he was also worried that the devil had tempted them to turn away from their faith. And so when he couldn't take the suspense any longer, he had Timothy go on this fact-finding mission. He said, Timothy, go find out how the Thessalonians are doing. So Timothy, being the faithful delegate that he is, he, he went and he spent time with the Thessalonians learning about them. And then he returned with his report. And to Paul's relief, it was a very good report about their godliness. By the grace of God, the church in Thessalonica was continuing in faith and love. So Grace Fellowship Church, here's point number one. Be known for your faith and love. In verse six, Paul carries on and he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Just pause right there for a moment. It's quite interesting to see Paul's choice of words here. He says that Timothy brought them good news. And that word should really stick out to you. Right? What comes to mind when you think about good news in a biblical context? The, the word is actually the same word used throughout the entire New Testament to refer specifically to the gospel. Right? Christ died for our sins and was raised. That is the good news of the gospel. And so when Paul talks about the good news, it's always in reference to the good news of the gospel. But here... This is the only place in the New Testament where Paul uses the words good news and it refers to something other than the gospel. This is the good news about the Thessalonians. And this might be Paul's subtle way of showing that the good news of the gospel has actually come in power to the Christians in the city. Essentially, the good news of the Thessalonians is that they have truly believed in the good news of the gospel and it has radically changed their lives. And that's the first part of Timothy's report. They had faith in Christ and love for one another. Look again at verse 6. Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. Faith and and love, faith and love. First, he mentions their faith. D despite the persecution from their own countrymen and their own people, despite the temptations of the devil, the Thessalonians were continuing to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. They still believe that Jesus was their Savior who, who died for their sins and rose again. They still believe that Jesus was their Lord who was to be obeyed. You know, if there was any chance that the, that the Thessalonians' faith wasn't genuine, the persecution that they were experiencing would have probably exposed that, right? I mean, why suffer such great affliction for something that you don't truly believe in? Their present afflictions tested their faith. But the result was good news. Their faith was real. 
Their faith was persevering, even though believing in the gospel invited severe persecution, even though they were taught that a Christian's earthly destiny was suffering, they did not turn away from their faith. They had faith in Christ, and the fruit of that faith was seen in their love for one another. While their own people were treating them with with hatred and hostility, the Thessalonians were treating one another with love and kindness. Timothy probably could have talked about a lot of other things in his report, and, and I'm sure he did. I mean, you can imagine Timothy just returning to Paul and Silas and them sitting together for for hours late into the evening talking about all the amazing things the Lord was doing in the church of Thessalonica and and then praying for them. And and I'm sure there was some some encouraging reports. But, But here when Paul summarizes the main points of Timothy's report, he first and foremost talks about their faith and love because that is what matters most. Faith and love are two different virtues, but they are inseparable in a Christian's life. Listen to what Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but Only faith working through what? Love. Faith working through love. The Christian life isn't about legalism and following a bunch of rules in order to be saved. I mean, Ariana was was asked the question, who who do you think goes to heaven? Listen, it's not the people who have lived a decent life and have tried to be better than, than other people. It is about having real faith in Jesus Christ and that faith working itself out in authentic love for one another. That's what counts. That's what matters. And that's what we all need to do. The reformer John Calvin once wrote, all godliness can be summed up in faith and love. Let me repeat repeat that again. All godliness can be summed up in faith and love. Godliness is faith and love. Faith and love is godliness. And by the grace of God, that's what Timothy evidently saw in the Thessalonian church. They were known for their faith and love. They were known for their godliness. So Grace Fellowship Church, if that delegate from Feb were to come and write a report about us, would they say that godliness primarily marks this church? Would we be known primarily for our faith and love above anything and everything else? I think we need to be careful that we don't lean too much on one side while neglecting the other. Some people can be strong in faith, but but weak in love. And, and, And other people can be strong in love, but weak in faith. But if we want to live lives more fully pleasing to the Lord, then we ought to strive to be both strong in our faith in Christ and in our love for one another. That was the first part of Timothy's report. They had faith and love. They were known for their godliness. And secondly, they had pleasant memories of the missionaries 
Timothy goes on and he says, well, after, well, Timothy, after the good news of their love and faith reported that you, Thessalonians, always remember us kindly. Remember us kindly. You have good memories about us. You have pleasant memories about us. You know, I wonder if Paul was ever concerned that due to their affliction and his absence, the Thessalonians may have had some negative thoughts about, about him and his fellow missionaries. I mean, where are those guys? They, they, they preach to us the gospel, it invites suffering, and, and now they're gone? I mean, he never says anything about that. But if he did have any concerns in that area, then Timothy's report would have brought him great relief. The Thessalonians did not have any painful memories of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. There was no animosity for preaching the gospel that invited persecution. There was no bitterness for not having returned to their city. On the contrary, all of their thoughts and remembrances about the missionaries were pleasant. Not painful, but pleasant. When Paul and the others were with the Thessalonians... They conducted themselves in such a way that left the church with pleasant memories of them. If you were here when I was preaching through chapter 2, you would remember how Paul talks about how they conducted themselves. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. He says, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Verse 8, we were ready to share with you not only, uh, not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Verse 9, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Verse 10, you are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. See, the Thessalonians didn't have these pleasant memories because they, they came up with some kind of fantasy or false idea of what Paul and the missionaries were like. No, no, their their pleasant memories of the missionaries were real. Paul, Silas, and Timothy lived lives of integrity and godliness. They, They were kind and loving, gentle and caring. They worked hard and were selfless in all that they did. And because the Thessalonians remembered them in such pleasant ways, they too had a great desire and a longing to be with the missionaries which is the third part of Timothy's report. They had a yearning to be with the missionaries. Verse 6 carries on after Timothy reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. In the previous section in last week's sermon, Paul, Paul poured out his heart and transparently talked about his eager desire and his longing of wanting to see them and be with them in person, no more obstacle. But to his joy, this wasn't a one-sided feeling. That desire and yearning to be together was reciprocated. It was mutual. And that kind of reciprocity was the mark of true friendship. So Timothy brought this glowing report about the Thessalonians to Paul and Silas. They had faith and love. They they were godly. They, They had pleasant memories of the missionaries. They were yearning to be with the missionaries. Do you know what all of that good news did for Paul and Silas? Look at verse 7. 
Here's the reason. Here's the effect. Here's the impact. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Paul doesn't elaborate on exactly how they were suffering in this context. I mean, it's probably persecution. It's, it's probably more temptations and hindrances from the devil. But regardless of what it was, what is clear is that in the midst of their affliction, they were comforted. Or, or in other words, they were encouraged because of the Thessalonians' faith. Now, now notice here that nothing is said about Paul, Silas, and Timothy's circumstances changing. It's not like they're comforted because somehow all of the suffering went away. No, no, no. Everything that was causing them distress and suffering is still present in their lives. And yet Paul basically says, this is what brought us encouragement in our suffering. It was your faith. It's interesting to think about how Paul and Silas had originally sent Timothy to encourage and comfort the Thessalonians in their affliction. That, that was what they wanted to do. They wanted to go and be an encouragement. So if you look back at chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort or, or encourage and comfort you and your faith. They wanted the Thessalonians to be encouraged by them, but in the end, it was the Thessalonians that encouraged them by their faith. Now, I remember a few, uh, a while back, visiting Michaela Warder and her parents at Sick Kids Hospital. Uh, many of you will remember little Michaela. She had some serious heart problems that affected her entire development process. And so the Warder family spent a, a long time at Sick Kids and the Ronald McDonald House waiting for a heart transplant for Michaela. And during their time in Toronto, they, they're, they're from Windsor. They, when they were here at Sick Kids, they, uh, they came and they visited Grace Fellowship Church, and that gave us an opportunity to get to know them. And after some time, Michaela eventually got a heart transplant, and things were progressing well, but... She passed away just over a year ago due to heart failure. And many of you will remember that news. That time when I, that time when I visited Michaela and her parents uh, shortly after she got her heart transplant surgery, I was originally planning on staying there for just about 30 minutes. It, it was late in the evening, and I didn't want to be a burden on them. 30 minutes, and I ended up staying for about an hour and a half. On my drive over there, I was praying that the Lord would give me the grace to minister to them and encourage them. But after that hour and a half, I honestly felt like I was the one who was ministered to and encouraged by them. And what encouraged my heart was simply watching their unwavering faith in the goodness of the Lord, even in the midst of such great trials in their lives. Brothers and sisters, the ministry of personal godliness is a powerful ministry. When you're walking faithfully in Christ, that blesses and encourages others. Listen, you may not have a, a formal ministry that you're serving in. 
You may not be serving in the music ministry or the small group ministry or the children's ministry or the meal ministry, whatever it is, whatever formal ministry it is. But don't think for a second that you don't have an important place to serve in this church. Don't neglect the ministry of personal godliness because this is what our church needs. Walk faithfully with your God and watch how the Lord uses your life, your faith, and your love to encourage, bless, and build up other saints around you. That's what the Lord did for Paul and his fellow missionaries. When they were suffering and and when they were distressed because of their affliction, they were comforted by others' faith. He used the faith of the Thessalonians to encourage them in the midst of their own affliction. But this good news did more than encourage them. It was life-giving to them. Look at verse 8. Paul says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. What does Paul mean by that? Well, obviously, he's speaking metaphorically here. It's it's not like Paul's physical life was, was bound up with the faith of the Thessalonians. No, but Paul uses this kind of language to express how incredibly energizing and life giving this good news was to them. Now, have you you ever had one of those moments where some really, 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 really good news comes to you and and you're just like, man, I feel so alive. You know, this past week was a bit of a disaster for my family. Uh, Kathy and the kids flew out Wednesday, um, this past Wednesday, to visit our family that we haven't seen in over two years. Uh, But the first half of that week was incredibly stressful because something went wrong and Corey's passport Uh, didn't come in on time. And with COVID slowing everything down, uh, we were trying to get to the bottom of this and we were making all kinds of phone calls. But I mean, you know, just on a normal day, that that is a brutal and frustrating experience. And so with COVID and and less staff, it was just an absolute disaster. (laughs) But the Lord was kind and merciful to us. The flight was scheduled to leave on Wednesday at 6 p.m. And they needed to be at the airport probably around 3.30 and Corey's passport was ready for pickup at 1.30 p.m. on that same day. I'll, I'll be honest, I felt like I couldn't breathe the first half of the week. I, I, I couldn't sleep. I was anxious. I was wondering, what, what, what are you going to do if, if Corey doesn't get her passport? But that Wednesday afternoon at 1.30 p.m., when Kathy messaged me and gave me the report that she had Corey's passport in her hand, I felt like I could finally breathe again. And I slept so long that night. I mean, that's a bit of a lame example, but it is a very small picture of what Paul is expressing here. When they were separated from the Thessalonians, it's like they couldn't breathe and sleep because they were so concerned about how the church was doing under persecution and spiritual opposition. But... When they received that report from Timothy, that good news of godliness was life-giving to them. It's like they could finally breathe again. That energizing experience of life was directly tied to the Thessalonians standing fast in the Lord. Paul says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. 
as long as the church was securely grounded in Christ, they were able to live. Brothers and sisters, here is the kind of faith and love and godliness that blesses and encourages other Christians around you. There are all kinds of ways that we can love and and serve one another directly in order to be an encouragement. But as you're seeking to do that with excellence, don't forget the ministry of personal godliness. Be close to Jesus. Love him with all of your heart. Delight in him with everything that you have. Trust in him at all times, and that in itself will be a powerful encouragement to others. As you're already walking in faith, seek also to grow in your faith. That's point number two, grow in your faith. Verse 9, Paul continues and he says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. Here's another result of the Thessalonians' faith. It produced an overwhelming joy in the missionary's heart to the point that they didn't know how to appropriately give thanks to God. Now, this is the third time in this letter where the theme of thanksgiving has appeared. And in case you missed it the first two times, notice again the object of Paul's gratitude. The joy that he feels for the Thessalonians doesn't direct gratitude to the church not even to um, themselves or to other missionaries, but it is to God and God alone. Every time he brings up thanksgiving in this letter, it is always thanks to God for the Thessalonians. And, And this should come as a constant reminder to the readers that all glory belongs to the Lord since he is the one who grants faith and he is the one who sustains our faith. Now, they, might, they may not know how to properly give thanks for all the joy that they feel, but nevertheless, they continue to pray. Verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. So here again, Paul repeats his desire that, that he wants to see the Thessalonians in person, but it's for a purpose. It's to supply what is lacking in your faith. Verse 10 there, supply what is lacking in your faith. Now these words come across as a bit of a surprise, doesn't it? It it, it almost sounds a little negative and therefore contradictory. I mean, a few verses earlier, we saw how the Thessalonians were doing well in the faith. Timothy's eyewitness report testified to this truth. And so we have to ask the question, which one is it? Are they, are they doing well in the faith or are they lacking in the faith? Well, it's not one or the other. It's both. Timothy may have brought a good report about the Thessalonians, but that doesn't mean they were perfect in the faith. Remember, they're, they're, they're still uh, brand new baby Christians They weren't mature in their knowledge of the scriptures. They weren't advanced in their theology and doctrine. They still needed to be instructed and discipled in the way of truth. So so Paul's not implying that their faith is broken or something. It's just incomplete. This church is young in the faith 
and they need to grow and mature and progress in the faith. You know, I think this is a good place for us to remember that just because you have faith doesn't mean that there isn't any more room to grow in your faith. We're all lacking in different ways, some more than others. But no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, there is always room to grow in your faith. You can always go deeper and deeper into knowing the infinite God. I mean, how could you know him perfectly and completely? In one sense, this is a call to humility. Recognize that you're not complete in your faith. Recognize that you need to grow and devote yourselves to learning. Devote yourselves to studying the scriptures diligently. Pursue relationships with older saints who are able to teach you and instruct you. Commit yourselves to learning week by week from the preaching of God's word. Grow in your faith. And as you seek to grow in your faith, also seek to grow in your love. Point number three, grow in your love. In verse 10, Paul talked about how he and his fellow missionaries were praying. But in verse 11, it transitions into an actual prayer. And there are three petitions in this prayer, and you can actually spot them because they each begin with the word may, M-A-Y. First, there is a prayer that the Lord would open a way. Look with me at verse 11. He says, now may, there's the first may, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Paul's prayer here is modeled after the teaching of Jesus who taught his disciples to call on God as our heavenly father. And so he prays our God and Father himself. It's, it's got a very personal touch to it. It's got a very relational tone. It's a child calling out to his parent. But notice that in the very same breath, he also calls on the Lord Jesus. This is one of those places where we can easily read over and not realize the theological significance that Paul is basically putting the father and the son on the same level. He's calling on them as one because they are one. And so Paul calls on God the Father and God the Son as one and prays that the Lord would open a way for them to see the Thessalonians again. Now we have to understand that in context, this prayer goes directly against the hindrance of the devil. Remember that Satan had hindered them and hindered Paul and Silas from returning to Thessalonica by putting an impassable obstacle in their way, whatever that was. And so they can't go. And now they are praying and asking God to remove this satanic obstacle so that they could go and see the church that they are so eager to see. This shows us something about how we ought to engage in the spiritual battle against our spiritual enemy. We shouldn't try to remove or overcome Satan's obstacle in our own strength. It's not about trying better. It's not about mustering up enough strength. It's not about having a little more determination. No, the model that we see here is that we are to call out to God in prayer and ask him to make a way because he is able and he is stronger than the devil. This is what Paul prayed for, and in God's perfect timing, he answered that prayer. 
Paul was actually able to visit them again during his third missionary journey recorded for us in Acts chapter 20. First, he prayed that the Lord would make a way for them. Secondly, he prayed that the Lord would grow their love. Verse 12, and may, there's the second may, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Now again, it's not like the Thessalonians were were bad at love or something. On the contrary, they're, they're commended for their love. But Paul desires to see their love grow even more. Think about a a fountain that has water spilling all over its sides. That's the picture that you should get when you think about the word abound. He wants Christians to be overflowing with love wherever they go. And he wants this love to overflow for one another in the church between all the saints. But look closely. He also says, and for all. As in everyone else outside of the church as well. As a church, we understand our call to love one another and to pay special attention to one another because we're in covenant with one another. But we need to be careful that we don't become exclusive in showing love just to one another. A few weeks back, many of you will remember when Pastor Paul preached about the circles of love, those concentric circles. And we saw how there is a biblical priority to love for a Christian. First and foremost, you are to love your spouse if you have one. And then secondly, you're to love your immediate family. And then you love your church family. Then you love other Christians. You love your neighbors. And then you love everyone else. Now, in a lot of the discussion groups that I was a part of afterwards, many of you talked about how how easy it is to forget and neglect the last three circles basically everyone outside of the church. And and it was because we can be so exclusively focused on loving everyone in the church family and in the immediate family. Just to be clear, it is a good thing that we are committed to one another in love. But we also need to remember that we are called to love those outside of the church. And some of you are probably thinking, That's hard to do. Some of you feel like you're not adequately loving one another the way things are now. And so how can we have this capacity to faithfully love the people inside the church and outside the church? Well, the answer is actually in verse 12. It's to pray to the Lord. And it's to ask that the Lord would grow our love for for all people. Listen, I understand that this call to to, to love is impossible if we're trying to do this in our own strength. We need the sovereign grace of God and we need him to empower us and to help us to grow in our love for all people. So brothers and sisters, let's regularly pray that for ourselves and for one another. How often do you pray that, that God would increase your love for all people? And then, as an act of love, come join us on Wednesday evenings. Because that's where we actually pray for one another. We pray for our children. We pray for other churches. And we pray for countries all across the world. 
And probably the most loving thing that you could do for an unbeliever is to preach the life-giving, the eternal life-giving good news of the gospel. So if you want a way to grow in love for all people, then come Wednesday afternoons at 5 p.m. and join Ricky for Neighborhood Evangelism. They go out into the neighborhood here in Paris talking to people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen, there are opportunities here in the church to love those outside of the church. So don't waste these opportunities. Commit to them and seek to grow in your love for others. Here's the third prayer or the third petition. He prays that the Lord would make them holy. Verse 13 so that he may, there's a third may, establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul here prays that the Lord would establish their hearts blameless in holiness. In other words, he's praying that the Lord would help the Christians to be found without sin and wholly devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again at his second coming. But notice that verse 13 begins with the words, so that, right? That, that shows us that this third petition is directly tied to the petition before it in verse 12. Meaning that the heart which is established blameless in holiness is the result of a life abounding in love. In other words, abounding in love leads to a life of holiness and without sin. And Paul's prayer is that all the saints in Thessalonica would be found this way when Jesus returns again. The second coming of Jesus Christ is another major theme in this letter. It comes up at least once in every chapter. And he he does this because he wants to remind the Thessalonians that when Jesus returns, God will unleash his just and righteous wrath on all those who are walking in sin and darkness. And he will vindicate his people. And Jesus will deliver all of those who belong to him. And the evidence of those who belong to him will be seen in whether or not they have lived holy lives. Paul talks a lot about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And yes, it is in order to encourage the saints, but it is also to motivate them to a life of holiness. And one of the best ways to do that is to give them a clear and powerful vision of the glorious and mighty return of Christ. Is he going to find you holy on that day? If a delegate came from Feb to learn about us and write a report about us. I pray that we would be found in godliness, growing in our faith, growing in our love, so that when Jesus returns in all his glory, we would be found holy. Let's pray. Dear God, your word says, be holy as I am holy. And Lord, we recognize that we can't do this in our own strength. As Paul prayed to you that you would do this work in the Thessalonians, we pray to you asking that you would do this good work in us.
Help us, Lord, to continue and to grow in faith and in love. Not just love for one another in the church, but love for everyone outside of the church. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you love us. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.